Hello, adventurer, and welcome to the Skyrim Book Club, the on-the-go solution for the busy adventure in Tamriel's coldest, far-reaching province. Let us collect the literature and lore of this great province for you and put it into a portable package so that you never have to stop fighting dragons, picking flowers, or stealing from shopkeepers when they aren't looking. With an ever-increasing archive, SkyrimBookClub.ca has got the story for you. Until next time, enjoy the book. The Poison Song, Book One, by Briston Zell. Part One of an epic set in the aftermath of the war with the Dwemer and House Dagoth. It was beginning again. Even though everything seemed serene, the last embers crackling in the hearth, young servant girl and her child slumbering in a chair by the door, a tapestry half finished against the wall, waiting to be completed tomorrow, one of the moons visible through a milky cloud outside the window, a lone bird out of sight in the rafters, cooing placidly. Tay heard the first chords of the song strike dissonantly somewhere far away. The bird in the rafters croaked and took flight through the window. The baby in the girl's arms woke and began to scream. The song swelled in intensity, yet still remained subtle and stately in tempo. The movement of everything seemed to take on the rhythm of the music, as if strange choreography had been staged. The girl rising to the window, the clouds reflecting back red from the inferno below, her scream all muted, consumed by the song. Everything that came thereafter, Tay had seen so many times, it had almost ceased to be a nightmare. He did not remember anything of his life before coming to the island of Gorn, but he understood that there was something different in his past that set him apart from his cousins. It wasn't simply that his parents were dead. His cousin Benara's parents had also died in the war. Nor were the other housemen on Gorn or nearby Mornhold unusually cruel to him. They treated him with the same polite indifference that any Indoril has for every other eight-year-old boy that got underfoot. But somehow, with absolute certainty, Tay knew he was alone, different, because of a song he always heard, and his nightmares. You're certainly imaginative, his Aunt Ulia would smile patiently, before waving him away so she could return to her scriptures and chores. Different? Everyone in the world thinks they're different. That's what makes it such a common sentiment, said his older cousin, Kalkorith, who was studying to be temple priest and had a firm grasp on paradoxes. If you tell anyone else that you keep hearing music where there's no music to be heard, they'll call you mad and bury you in the shrine of Sheogorath, his uncle Trifith would snarl, before striding away to attend to his business. Only his nursemaid, Edaba, would listen to him seriously, and just nod with a faint look of pride, but she would never say another word. His cousin, and chief playmate Bainara, was by far the least interested in the stories of his song and his dreams. How tiresome you are with all this, Tay, said Bainara, after luncheon the summer of his eighth year. He, she, and a younger cousin, Vaster, walked in a clearing in the midst of flowering trees. The grass was very low, barely up to their ankles, and there were big black piles of leaves from the previous autumn. Now, shall we get back to it? What shall we play? Tay thought for a moment. We could play the Siege of Orsinium. What's that? asked Vaster, their constant companion, three years their junior. Orsinium was the home of the orcs, off on the Rothgarian mountains. For hundreds of years, it kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. The orcs would come down out of the mountains and rape and pillage all over High Rock. And then, King Jolie of Daggerfall and Gaiden Shinji of the Order of Diagna and someone else, I forget, from Sentinel, all joined together against Orsinium. For 30 years, they fought and fought. Orsinium had walls made out of iron, and try as they might, they couldn't break through. So what happened? asked Benara. You're so good at making up things that never happened. Why don't you make it up? So they did. Tay was the king of the orcs, perched up in a tree they called Orsinium. Benara and Vaster played King Jolie and Gaiden Shinji, and they threw pebbles and sticks up at Tay while he taunted them in his most guttural voice. The three decided that the goddess Kinnereth, 
played by Beinara in dual role, answered the prayers of Gaiden Shinji and drenched Orsinium in a torrent of rain. The walls rusted and dissolved. On cue, Tei obligingly fell from the tree and let King Zhou and Gaiden Shinji mangle him with their enchanted blades. For the most of that summer, the year 675 of the First Era, Tei was nearly insensible by the power of the sun. There were no clouds, but it rained most every night, so the vegetation on the island of Gorn was bewilderingly lush. The stones themselves seemed to glow with sunlight, and the ditches burned with white meadow sweet and parsley down. All around him were soft smells of flowers and trees untroubled by wind. The foliage was purple-green, blue-green, ash-green, white-green. The wide cupolas, twisting cobbled streets, and thatched roofs of the little village of Gorn and massive bleached rock of Sandal House were all magical to him. Yet the dreams haunted his nights, and the song continued whether he was awake or not. Against Aunt Olia's admonishments, Te, Benara, and Vaster had breakfast outdoors every morning with the servants. Olia would hold an interior breakfast for herself and any visiting dignitaries. Guests were rare, so she often ate alone. At first, the servants would dine in silence, attempting gentility, but they broke down and would regale the children with gossip, reports, stories, and rumors. Poor Arnile is laid up with a fever again. I'm telling you, they're cursed. A whole lot of them. Piss on a fairy and they piss right back on you. Doesn't little Miss Teresa look, oh, just a wee bit tight around the belly region lately? She's not. The only servant who didn't speak at all was Tay's nursemaid, Ediba. She wasn't pretty like the other maids, but the scars on her face did not deform her. Her poorly set broken nose and her short hair gave her a certain alien mystique. She would merely quietly smile at the gossip and look at Tay with almost frightening love and devotion. One day, after breakfast, Benara whispered to Tay and Vaster, We have to go to the hills on the other side of the island. She had used such imperatives before, and always had something wonderful to show. A waterfall, tucked away behind ferns and tall rocks, a sunny grove of figs, a discreet still some peasants had set up, a sickly oak twisted into a kneeling human figure, a collapsed stone wall that they imagined was thousands of years old, the last refuge of a doomed princess they named Marella. The three walked across the forest until they came to a clearing. A few hundred feet beyond, the meadow sank to a dry creek bed filled with small, smooth stones. They followed that into the dark woods, where trees canopied high over their heads. Sporadic red and yellow blossoms burst along the moist underbrush, but they became rarer and rarer as the children marched on under the umbrageous oaks and elms. The air crackled with birds ticking a staccato choral piece, a minor chord of the song. Where are we going? asked Tay. It's not where we're going, it's what we're going to see, replied Benara. The forest surrounded the three children completely, bathed them in its tenebrous hues, and breathed on them with wet chirrups and sighs. It was easy for them to imagine that they were within a monster, walking along its twisted spine of stones. Benara scrambled up the steep hill and peered through the thick mass of shrub and tree. Tay lifted Vaster out of the creek bed and climbed out, gripping soft grass for support. There was no path through the forest here. Brambles and low-hanging branches struck at them like the claws of chained beasts. The cries of the birds became ever more stentorious, as if angered at the invasion. One limb drew blood on Vaster's cheek, but he didn't cry out. Even Benara, who could pass like an ethereal creature through impenetrable forests, had a braid catch on a bramble, ruining the intricate pattern a servant had woven hours before. She paused to pull out the other braid, so her bright, unruly tresses fell freely behind her. Now she was something wild, a nymph guiding the other two through her woodland domain. The song began to beat like a wild pulse. They were on a shelf of stone below a cliff overlooking a tremendous gorge, staring over an expanse of cinder. It looked like the scene of a tremendous battle, a holocaust of fire. 
charred boxes, weaponry, animal bones, and detritus too annihilated to be identified littered the ground. Speechless, Tay and Vaster stepped into the black field. Benara smiled, proud that she had finally found something of true wonder and mystery. What is this place? asked Vaster at last. I don't know, Benara shrugged. I thought at first that it was some kind of ruin, but now I think it's a junk pile, just not like any junk pile I've ever seen. Just look at this stuff. The three began an unorganized survey of the dusty mounds of refuse. Benara found a twisted sword, only lightly blackened by flame, and began polishing it to read the inscriptions on the blade. Vaster amused himself by breaking brittle boxes with his hands and feet, imagining himself a giant of unbelievable strength. A battered shield attracted Tay. There was something about it that reverberated with the sound of the song. He pulled it out and wiped its surface clean. I've never seen that crest before, said Benara, looking over Tay's shoulder. I think I have, but I don't remember, Tay whispered, trying to conjure the memory from his dreams. He was sure he had seen it there. Look at this, Vaster cried, interrupting Tay's thoughts. The boy was holding up a crystal orb. As his hand moved over the surface, brushing away grit and dust, a key in the song rose which sent a shiver through Tay's entire body. Benara ran over to look at Vaster's treasure, but Tay felt paralyzed. Where did you find that? She gasped, gazing into the swirl beneath the crystal surface. Over in that wagon, Vaster gestured towards a heap of blackened wood, barely discernible from the other piles but for its cart spokes. Benara began digging into the half-collapsed structure, so only her feet could be seen. The song built in potency, sweeping over Tay. He began walking towards Vaster slowly. Give me that, he whispered in a voice he could barely recognize as his own. No, Vaster whispered back, his eyes locked on the colors reflected in the heart of the globe. It's mine. Benara dug through the remains of the wagon for several more minutes, but she could find no treasures like Vaster's. Most everything within was destroyed, and what remained was commonplace by any standards. Broken arrows, armor shards, guar bones. Frustrated, she pulled herself out into the sunlight. Tay was alone at the edge of the Great Gorge. Where's Vaster? Tay blinked and then turned back to his cousin with a shrug and a grin. He went back to show everyone his new plunder. Did you find anything interesting? Not really, said Benara. We probably ought to get back home before Vaster tells them anything that'll get us in trouble. Tay and Benara started to walk back at a quick pace. Tay knew that Vaster would not be there when they got back. He would never be returning home again. The crystal globe rested snugly in Tay's satchel, hidden under a pile of junk he had picked up. With all his heart, he prayed for the song to return and drown out the memory of the gorge and the long, silent fall. The boy had been so surprised, he hadn't even had time to scream.